Miami, Florida. And he had passed away at a hospital in Miami. And Prisca decided that we would have the service in the United States. And then that very Saturday evening, we met as a board of directors. We felt that it was very, very important for us to focus our prayers on what we believed needed to be prayed for, to be specific. Uh, the Bible tells us we should be very specific with our prayers. And if you don't know, then how can you do that? And um, we established a 30, a 90, and a 180-day plan to really pray about those things that are most important to make sure that the work continues. I'm the keeper of the trip calendar, and I can tell you none of the trips have been canceled. No one has called and said, well, I guess you're not doing trips now, right? And the answer is, oh, yes, we are. Uh, there's a lot that has been going on since Manu got ill last fall, and uh, there's a lot of steps that have been taken. Uh, Manu's legacy of leadership is very apparent throughout that whole area. I had not been to Haiti for um, more than eight years when I arrived in January, and I was just amazed at the things that are in place, uh, the leadership that is in place, the leaders that are growing any church that's successful is always growing leaders, is always giving the ministry away, and because of that, the ministry uh, will stay strong. Prisca, uh, Mano's wife, has stepped up, and she has assumed the role of uh, executive director. Um, it's on an interim basis. Pastor Bob uh, is a young man that came on with Haitian Christian Ministries in Haiti about three years ago. And Bob has been preaching uh, almost solidly since last October when Mano fell ill. He's a very talented man. Uh, pray for Bob. Uh, Bob has a master's degree from Azusa Pacific in church, in church leadership and, and uh, formation of, of church staffs. And so, you know, it's amazing. Um, a number of months ago, Judith and Julie, the twin daughters of the Laguerres, felt moved to move back to Haiti. And when you think and when you look back uh, and you see um, the things that have been going on, it, it makes you wonder if, well, of course, God knew all along what was going to happen. And Mano was concerned a number of years ago about the next person to take over because he said for years, if this ministry dies when I die, then I've wasted my time for the Lord. None of us want to waste our time for the Lord. So, um, I'm very confident that steps are in place. We had a, a meeting that night, and there are some that may say, what? That was the day of the funeral. Well, we really felt like God wanted us to come together and begin to pray and talk and lay plans and do the, as I mentioned, 30, 90, 180-day plan. We have another uh, board meeting. We're supposed to have a board meeting here this weekend, but we, we did it much earlier, and then we have a teleconference on Saturday, May 9th, as we continue to sp specifically talk about a lot of different things. So uh, you can pray for those things going forward, uh, who God will raise up, who will step up and take the leadership role. A board member will be down in Haiti a minimum of once every three months. So there will be a lot of, I've already seen so many things go on and, and uh, thank you for your prayers and thank you for your, your support of what we do well, I mentioned to the group last night, and we had a marvelous time, that I went to Haiti kicking and screaming. My wife uh, told me after a man came and preached a sermon, planned to go but be willing to stay, um, she said, I'm going to go to Haiti. 
And I said, well, darling, just wait just a second here. Um, I am your protector. I'm your husband. And I am a retail store manager, and I can't go to Haiti. So you can't go to Haiti. She's had nothing to do with me, she said. I didn't realize that I married such a strong, uppity woman, you know. And, and uh, so um, I went to my boss and said, now, I know what you're going to say, but here's the deal. And my boss said, oh, no, you can go. So, and as they say, uh, things changed a lot. And in 1994, God called me into vocational ministry. And it was Mano's fault that that happened. And I felt God talking to me. And, and I thought, oh, Lord, not in Haiti, of all places. Uh, there's Scott Wesley Brown is a longtime Christian singer. He used to sing a song about, don't, Lord, don't send me to Africa. And uh, so... Um, 1994, I came into the ministry, and I went to work for a church in Carmel, Indiana, and we had a brand new senior pastor that came on, and he asked us to take this little test, and um, a plan to understand yourself and others, the DISC method of, of how do you um, react and how do you interact with people you work with. He wanted to kind of figure out who we were. Now, this is not the book we, we did. This is a fill in the blank, darken the circle, what's most like you, least like you, and so on. We took it on a computer. And um, he had the entire staff do that. We weren't a large church, so uh, we didn't have that many of us. And then the results came back. And it was kind of a printout that said who we were. And I was amazed that it was so close. There were some things that I didn't quite agree with. And he said, let's sit down and talk about this. I said, okay. Um, behavioral research suggests that most effective people are those who understand themselves, both their strengths and weaknesses, so they can develop strategies to meet the demands of their environment. This report analyzes behavioral style, that is, a person's manner of doing things. Is this report 100% true? Yes. No. And maybe. We're only measuring behavior. He said, well, let's look at this nice positive page here, kind of short. Uh, Rick sees his personal, his present work environment requiring him to exhibit the behavior listed on this page. Rick says, hey, Rick is flexible, very flexible in what he does. I said, uh, yeah, I like that. He maintains an ever-changing, friendly work environment. Got to work where it's friendly and interaction, great. Yes, I like that. He acts independently and without precedent. He will respond well to challenges. You say, I can't do it, just stand back and watch. I went, this thing is really accurate. Um, he's going to be creative and unconventional in making a point. He makes very tactful decisions. Boy, I'm telling you, spot on. He will use a creative approach in decision making. And Richard, the senior pastor, said, that's good. Well, let's turn the page. It's a little bit longer. Areas for improvement. Rick has a tendency to be optimistic regarding possible results of his projects or the potential of his people. Okay? Rick has a tendency to trust people indiscriminately if positively reinforced by those people. Rick has a tendency to be unrealistic in appraising other people, especially if the person is a friend. And I said, okay, Richard, since this all has to do with ministry, what's this report trying to say about this guy named Rick White? He said, I think what it's saying is you may have a tendency to play favorites. 
because part of my job description was outreach, you may have a tendency to hang with people just like you. God wants us to reach out to everyone. Think about the people in the circle around you, about the person you pick up your dry cleaning from. Maybe, maybe not a believer. He wants us to reach out to everyone. And in your work, when someone is kind of like you, kind of verbal, wants to be happy and creative, um, you're going to miss a lot of people that God will bring your way. You need to really get your head up and take a look because you're going to be setting the example. You're going to be the person that will help lead others to do that kind of work. Um, I didn't like that because I thought that I had a love and a heart for everybody, but I found out that maybe I didn't. And maybe it's something that I needed to learn, relearn, or do something a little bit differently. He grabbed his Bible and he said, let me read you a scripture. James 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, well, here, here's a great seat for you right down front here. Or then you turn around and look at the poor man and say, well, now you just stand there or no, why don't you sit back there on the floor? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I went, ooh, that's harsh. But he said, sometimes you really have to look at what you're involved in and what you're doing. He suggested that I do a little study on Acts chapter 10. That's where Peter and Cornelius get together. Remember Cornelius and his family? Those were the very first Gentile converts. Well, I'm not going to read that scripture because if, if we took the time to go all the way through chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, uh, it would be time for me to sit down. It's a pretty long chapter. So after lunch today, before you take your naps, get your Bibles out and read Acts chapter 10. So I'm a reporter, and I have been with Peter and Cornelius, and I'm going to report the events on just a little brief report here for you. The story begins in Caesarea. At about 3 p.m., Cornelius has a vision. The Bible will often say the ninth hour. That's about 3 p.m. Uh, he gets a vision to send for Peter in Joppa. So he dispatches two servants and one soldier, and they leave. About 12 noon the next day, Peter goes up to the roof to pray. And again, the Bible says about the sixth hour. He got hungry. He had a vision as he was resting before the food. And I like this. I think the Bible talks about a sheet comes down with, with non-kosher animals on it. I picture it as a picnic blanket. Comes down with, that's a Rickism. Comes down with, with non-kosher food, and he's been given a command to eat those animals that are on that sheet. And he's very stubborn, and he says, no, I don't eat that kind of food. I'm, I'm a Jew. Peter started to wonder about this vision. Soon, three men were at Peter's house. Spirit said, let them in because I sent them. Peter asked, why are you here? They were sent by Cornelius. They stayed the night. Next day, they all went off to Caesarea to include Peter. Now, you, you see, Jews and Gentiles were to have nothing to do with each other. It was against the law. You weren't even to cast eyes upon someone if you were a Jew, if that was a Gentile. Well, Cornelius had already gathered his family and friends. He was expecting Peter. He knew he would come. Peter arrived, and the very first thing Cornelius did was bow at Peter's feet. 
And he said, oh, no, I'm just a man. Please, please stand. Peter says, you know, I shouldn't have come. Cornelius told how he knew to come and get Peter. Well, I came immediately, Peter said. Peter then shared the gospel message with this, pe- this group of people. Cornelius and his entire household had gathered. The Holy Spirit interrupted him, and they were baptized. Peter's group that came with him was absolutely awestruck. Okay, God is, one of, is the key player here, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has always been and always will be. Peter, Simon Peter, a disciple and apostle, the man chosen by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles, even though Philip lived in Caesarea, a Jewish man who often did things in threes, one of the sons of thunder, if I could add someone to that sons of thunder list. Cornelius, now that's a Latin name, a military man in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers, a centurion. Latin troops were very loyal to the government, much like our armed forces today. And that loyalty continues to grow and the acceptance from the public continues to grow for those people. His religious principles included regular prayer, regular giving to the poor, and regular instruction. He gathered his entire household. Cornelius kept the Jewish time of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but he was not a believer. The difference between Cornelius and many religious people today is the fact that he knew that his religious devotion was insufficient to save him. He was a good man, but he needed a savior. So what's God trying to teach us? What was he trying to teach Peter and Cornelius? Well, I think one of the things we can learn from this chapter in Acts is that God doesn't play favorites. His gospel, and we are the takers of his gospel to the world, is for all people. We're to take the gospel to all people regardless of whether they fit into our lifestyle circle or not. We don't pick and choose if we're going to be obedient to God's calling. It's about listening for God's instructions and then stepping out and serving him. I mentioned earlier that we all have a tendency to kind of stay together with people just like us. It's a whole lot easier to do that than to be with someone that might not think and talk exactly like you and I might. I heard Philip Jensen, an Anglican chaplain to the University of New South Wales in Australia, say one time, Christians often will operate in a Christian ghetto type of atmosphere. They'll spend their times with one another because it's a lot safer. I think of the ghettos around Chicago, and if you're not part of that ghetto, you're in trouble. And, but as Christians, because well, we just, that's just what we do. Ray Vanderlaan, Dr. Ray Vanderlaan, part of the Focus on the Family teaching series that the world may know, I heard him say this on a, one of his films at one of our small group meetings, the thing that first and foremost marks a person as being filled with the Spirit is whether or not you care about the people around you who need what you have. How much do you really care for the people who need what God gave you? So how will you accomplish this task? Well, I've learned it's about getting involved in other people's lives. It's about taking the church, you are the church, taking to them wherever they are. So how do we get rid of this favoritism? How do we get out of our ghettos? Well, it's about making a concentrated effort to be aware of what's going on in the lives of those around us. Remember that line in in Rick Warren's book, it's not about you, it's about him. So how can we get started? 
Well, just like Cornelius and Peter, we need to always be in communication with God to hear his direction every day. Verses 3 through 5 in Acts chapter 10. One afternoon, at about 3 o'clock, Cornelius had a vision. He saw an angel from God coming to him and calling him by name. Cornelius was surprised and stared at the angel. Then he said, what's this all about? The angel answered, God has heard your prayers and knows about your gifts to the poor. Now send some men to Joppa. And then verse 9 says, the next day about noon, these men were coming near Joppa. At the same time, Peter was going up to the roof of his house to pray. God worked through these men through their prayer time to speak to them, and they listened to him. You know, too often when we pray, by the way, that operative word in there is when, not if, but when, write that down, when we pray, too often we do all the talking. Bill Hybels in his book, um, Too Busy to Not to Pray, uses the acronym or the acrostic ACTS to help guide you through your prayers. A-C-T-S, A is for adoration. What is it about God that you adore? Tell him. Confession. What's going on in your life you should not be involved in? What do you need to confess to him? What haven't you done you should have done? And he wants you to hear you say that. And then T is thanksgiving. Because you make a list of a hundred different things you're thankful for because of the grace of God. And then S is supplication. What would you like to ask him to do for you or for your family or if you're an intercessor to, for someone else? And I think there's a letter he left off, and it's the letter L. It should be Axel. Listen. Years ago, um, when I was still in retail before I was in the ministry, um, I had a job in St. Louis working for Best Buy, and I lived way west in St. Charles, Missouri, and the store I worked in was in Fairview Heights, Illinois. And the shortest distance between two points was 45 miles. And I would usually leave very, very early in the morning, have a Christian station on the, on the radio, and I would listen um, to the devotions. We would have devotions in between the songs. And uh, that gave me a great time to listen. And I tried to listen with my eyes open when I was driving. So important to stay in communication. Uh, early converts in Africa uh, would often go into the thickets to pray. And after a while, there would be a path for Charlie. That's not an African name, but that's okay. Charlie's path would be there, and Kevin's path would be here, and Mark's path would be over here. And you could tell if they were in an active prayer life because after a while, the grass began to be worn off the path. And then... Every once in a while, one of the paths would have a little grass on it, and they would kind of poke each other in the side and say, Kevin, grass grows on your path. Think of the blessings we might miss if we don't pray and listen. I know how I am when I don't pray on a regular basis, and, and I, I feel like I've missed something. We've heard it preached over and over about stepping out of our comfort zones to get in God's work, get involved in others' life. You need to bathe it first in prayer. So always be in communication with God to keep from playing favorites and to be able to move in a new direction. Always be willing to have your eyes opened by God. See his view. It's about having a teachable spirit. If you don't have a teachable spirit, that should go high on your list of prayers because the world is changing. 
you heard it preached before that the message stays the same, but the method has to change because there aren't as many people in church. So you may have to learn something new in your older age of 40 and 45 and, and so on. Uh, years ago, in one of my trainings, uh, whether it was in retail, I heard about a film called You Can Surpass Yourself. And it's, again, about teaching people how to have a teachable spirit. Eden Ryle is a social psychologist. And she met with this man, and he said, and this was all about learning to learn again. And he said, have you ever shot any kind of weapon? BB gun, pistol? And she said, no. He said, in my hand, I have an ordinary five-grain aspirin, just a typical bare aspirin. Do you believe that I can teach you when I throw that in the air to blow it out of the air with a BB gun? No scope, just a little notch. And, of course, she knew the whole deal on the film, so she couldn't say, oh, no. She said, well, yes, I believe you can do that. So the entire film, it shows her progressing through a series of steps to learn how to do this. Um, they would throw up a large aluminum disc early in the film, and she would miss. She would cock the, the, and he would throw it up there, and she'd shoot, you wouldn't hear anything. And then after a little bit of instruction, here's step one, here's step two, you'd hear ping, and whoa. And then they, they kept getting smaller and smaller, and Alka-Seltzer, Took a while, but finally she blew that out of the air, and it came for the day. It's, it's building. And he'd get out there, and he said, okay, are you ready? Are, are you ready? And she said yes. So she cocks that gun, and she gets ready. He throws the aspirin up in the air, and she blows it out of the air with an ordinary BB gun. And the idea, if you truly want to have a whole different outlook on the people that God has placed all around you, you may have to learn some new skills. You know, God had shown Peter that he should not call any man impure or unclean. In essence, Peter shared what he had learned with these people in that scripture. Um, he said, you know, there are people lost and hurting all around us. These people needed to hear about Jesus Christ, and he was sent against the law to take that information to them. Um, it's about putting our ideas of what we think God might want us to do as we reach out to people and begin to listen for God's guidance in your life. Once you've figured out that God's in control, he does have a plan for you, and you begin to listen, you begin to notice the people around you well, the last time I was in the dry cleaners, she was much brighter and had more cheer in her face. And today, what's going on? Maybe you've never noticed that before. You may need to reach out and, and share with her. Pastor Mark would be preaching today about the remnant, uh, those that, that wandered, the Israelites that wandered away, and then finally got one of those head slappers and said, we need to get back to following God uh, and, and that's a good group of remnants. And so often we look at remnants in society as castaway people, these uh, people that are undesirable that you see here and there, like, ooh, I can't believe he's wearing that or whatever. And God said those people count also. So you need to always be willing and ready to share your faith, to go beyond yourself, because you may not be comfortable 
sharing your faith with someone. God sent his word to the people, we read in 36 and 39, of Israel and brought them the good news through, of peace through Jesus Christ. This Jesus Christ is everyone's Lord. Be ready to share your faith. Do you have a method? Do you have a testimony of how God entered your life and now what kind of person are you? And it may be something as simple today after church as you go out for lunch and the server brings you your lunch and he or she says, is there anything else I can do for you or get for you? You say, yes, uh, we're going to pray for our lunch today. Can I pray for you? We were in Flagstaff a number of years ago. It snows there too, by the way. And the server brought our breakfast. There was another couple who minister in Mexico. And she said, is there anything else I can do for you folks today? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, we're going to pray for our breakfast. Can we pray for you? And she broke down and said, yes. My husband left today with the children and cleaned out our bank accounts, and I don't know where he is. I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, let's pray. We held hands. And we prayed for her and prayed for her and prayed for her. Often, they'll say, no, I don't think so. But she did, and she needed that. And she said, I think I can make it through today. Thank you for praying for me. So it may be something as simple as that, but you've got to get started. John G. Stackhouse, uh, in his book, Humble Apologetics, Defending the Faith Today, uh, writes, We Christians do believe that God has given us the privilege of hearing and embracing the good news of receiving adoption into his family and of joining the church. We do believe that we know some things that other people don't, and those things are good for them to hear. Above all, we believe that we have met Jesus Christ. If Christians are in fact privileged in these ways, to say it once more, it's not because we are smarter or holier or humbler than other people are. It's just because we believe God has, in his mysterious generosity, given us this privilege. Always be in communication with God every day and listen to what he has for you to do. What is your assignment for the day? Always be willing to learn new things from God. Have a teachable spirit. Learn new ways of sharing your faith. God will place people in your life that you can just share yourself with. Always be ready and willing to share your faith. Have a method Maybe it's your testimony. Maybe it's the Roman road. Maybe it's the evangelism explosion that D. James Kennedy did years ago. Make yourself available for God's use in that way. Now, I do hope I'm preaching to the choir this morning, that you all already knew all this stuff, and this is just a review. But in closing, let me share a little story uh, from a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala, the founding pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. You may not know his church, but you may know his music, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He said, and this is from Easter Sunday a number of years ago, and that's pretty apropos because that happened just a few weeks ago. He says, Christians often hesitate to reach out to those who are different. They want God to clean the fish before they catch them. If someone's gold ring is attached to an unusual body part, or if the person doesn't smell the best, or if the skin color is not the same, Christians tend to hesitate. But think for a moment about God reaching out to us. If ever there was a reach, that was it. The holy, pure deity extending himself to us who were soiled, evil-hearted, unholy. God could have said, you are so different from me. 
so distasteful. I would really rather not get too close to you. But he didn't say that. It was our very differentness that drew his hand of love. Jesus didn't just speak the healing word to lepers from a distance of 30 yards. He touched them. I shall never forget Easter Sunday, the day that Roberta Langella gave her dramatic testimony. Roberta Langella grew up in a household of drug dealers. She was constantly surrounded by drugs and people being high and all the problems that come with that. And God rescued her and, and she found Jesus. A homeless man was standing in the back of the church on that Easter evening, listening very intently to the service. At the end of the evening meeting, I sat down on the edge of the platform. I was exhausted as others continued to pray to those who had responded to Christ. The organist was playing quietly. I just wanted to relax. I was just starting to unwind when I looked up to see this man with shabby clothing and matted hair standing in the center of the aisle about four rows back and waiting for permission to approach me. I nodded and gave him a weak little wave of my hand. Look at how this Easter Sunday is going to end, I thought to myself. He's going to hit me up for money. This happens so often in this church. I'm so tired. When he came close, I saw that his two front teeth were missing, but more striking was his odor. The mixture of alcohol, sweat, urine, and garbage took my breath away. I've been around many street people, but this was the strongest stench I have ever encountered. I instinctively had to turn my head sideways to inhale and then look back in his direction while breathing out. I asked his name. David, he said softly. How long have you been homeless, David? Six years. Where did you sleep last night? In an abandoned truck? I had heard enough and wanted to get this over with quickly. I reached for the money clip in my back pocket. At that moment, David put his finger in front of my face and said, No, you don't understand. I don't want your money. I'm going to die out there. I want that Jesus that little girl talked about. I hesitated, Jim said, and closed my eyes. God forgive me, I begged. I felt soiled and cheap. Me, a minister of the gospel, I just wanted to simply get rid of him when he was crying out for the help of Christ, I had just preached about. I swallowed hard as God's love flooded my soul. David sensed a change in me. He moved toward me and fell on my chest, burying his grimy head against my white shirt and tie. Holding him close, I talked to him about Jesus' love. These weren't just words. I felt them. I felt love for this pitiful young man. And that smell, I don't know how to explain it, it had almost made me sick, but now it became the most beautiful fragrance to me. I reveled in what had been repulsive just a moment ago. The Lord seemed to say to me in that instant, Jim, if you and your wife have any value to me, if you have any purpose in my work, it has to do with this odor. This is the smell of the world that I died for. Well, David surrendered to Christ. He'd heard about that night. Today, David heads up the maintenance department of our church overseeing 10 other employees. He is now married and a father. God is opening more and more doors for him to go out and give his testimony. When he speaks, his words have a weight and an impact that many ordained ministers would covet. As Christians reach out to touch everyone, whether it be a Christian remnant that needs to come back or remnants we might think of throwaway people, um, 
we need to touch everyone, including the unlovely who are now everywhere in our society. God touches them too and revolutionizes their lives. Otherwise, we would just be circling the wagons, busying ourselves with Bible studies among our own kind. There is no demonstration of God's power because we have closed ourselves off from the need for such a demonstration. It's about going beyond yourself. And just like in life, when you get ready to do something new, you may need a little training on that new iPhone you just got. But God is patient, and he wants you to step out and learn about the ABCs of going beyond yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for those that have come this morning and perhaps will begin a new chapter in their lives of becoming more aware of the people that you have placed in their lives. Father, teach us new ways to share your word. And maybe it's something as simple as just sharing our lives with someone. Help us to be available in Jesus' name. Thanks for that challenge, Rick. <clears throat> it's a good reminder our pastor.